Well, so glad you spent part of your day with us today and joining us here at Lex City. Even as a little child, I have always loved cars, been fascinated with cars. And so one of my favorite cars that I've ever owned was, was this one here. It had a little Ford uh, Saline Mustang, and this was a fun car. This was a fast car. It was one of the summers. Uh, the sun was out. The top was down. The music was booming. And I was on a back road, and I was flying, living the dream. My wife wants to say, not with the boys in the car. It was just purely me uh, that we were on there. And things were going so great until I looked in my rear view mirror and some red lights were rolling on behind me. That poor decision of that day cost me hundreds of dollars and six hours in driving class uh, on a Saturday as I gone. And uh, I still remember that driving class 20 years later, some of the, uh, the things that stick out. Uh, one was that the officer spent some time talking about human nature. He said, now listen, when you're driving and you're on a back road and you're heading into a town, he says, isn't it always interesting when you see the sign to slow down, you don't slow down until you get right to the sign and then you begin to slow down. But when you're leaving the town, as soon as you visually see the sign to speed up, you speed up right away. He says, it's just human nature. Part of that six-hour class was a time of question and answer. And he mentioned the number one question that he always gets is this. Excuse me, officer, how fast can I drive over the speed limit before you will actually pull me over and give me a ticket, right? Is it three miles an hour? Is it five miles an hour? Is it eight miles an hour? I'm going to tell you it's not 45 miles an hour, uh, but that's, you know, this was the option. Because really the question that we were asking in that class, right, whether it be issues of speed limits, relational choices, social activities, the question is how close can I get to the line right, without going over the line, and if I go over the line, how far can I go and still be able to bring myself back from where I've gone? Our human nature, our Bible would say our sin nature, we, we love to snuggle up to as close to the line as possible. We love to flirt with danger and the things that are there. It's this fine line, right, between what is legal and what is illegal, what is responsible, what is irresponsible, what is moral, right? And what is immoral, what is ethical and unethical. And we like to get so close to the line of whatever that distinction is because somehow we've convinced ourselves that we can handle it, right? I'm in control. I can determine where I'm on this line and how close I get and the ripples and the effects that it has. I'm in control, can I get this close, right, and still be all right? As a Christian, we, we form the question a little different, right? How close can I get to sin without sinning, the human nature? The problem is with that kind of thinking and that kind of processing in the decision-making process, it, it's making some false assumptions that are leading us to even think like that. Let, let me give you four assumptions that I hear and see so often. First one is this. If it's not wrong, then it's right, if it's not illegal, then it's permissible. If it's not immoral, then it's acceptable. If it's not over the line, well, then it's fine, right? Now, as I read those four, I hope something in your spirit said, ooh, I, th that's a problem. It's legal, it's permissible. I hope there's a check. If, if, you were put your, if you were the older sibling, if you were going to teach your younger brothers and sisters how to think and process through life, 
if you are a parent, I hope these aren't the premises that you're teaching your children about this is what right and wrong is and this is how we make decisions. See, the challenge with these assumptions is it's the lowest level of the thinking process. That the bar could not be any lower. If it's legal, then it's permissible. If it's immoral, we've put this bar so very, very low, and it begins to ask the question again, how bad can I be without really being bad, right? How wrong can I be without being a wrongful kind of a person? And all of these assumptions and thinkings, I think why it appeals to us is it requires very little from us. Bare minimum. If I can cross this barrier, I'm all good. Problem is, that's not who Jesus is, and that's not what Jesus teaches us. Jesus, in in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, begins to confront this kind of thinking, the thinking that says, as long as I do the bare minimum, then I'm all good. That's what wisdom is. Jesus says, no, no. In Matthew, chapter 5, it's a fascinating chapter. It deals with topics like this, like how do we deal with difficult people? It's the chapter that we get the idea of turning the other cheek giving to the poor, praying for our enemies. And the point that Jesus is making in chapter five is this. The world lives up to this standard, very essentials. As a follower of me, Jesus says, I'm calling something greater from you than that. And in that chapter five, verse 41 is a verse that's always kind of stuck out to me. Let me read that for you as Jesus giving examples. He says this, verse 41, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Now, the context of this would make sense to his readers. In the context, there was a Roman law that gives soldiers the right to demand that citizens would carry their packs and their weapons for a million, where we actually get the English word million, for a Roman mile. Roman mile is just a little bit shorter than our mile today. And this law was designed to give Roman soldiers relief and a break from carrying their packs and everything. Can you imagine how the citizenship hated and resented this law. No matter what you were doing in a moment, a a Roman soldier could say, hey, come carry my bags. And then the citizen would have to carry the very weapons of their oppression from their oppressor a mile as they go. Jesus said, here's what the law, the very minimum requires you. You grab his bag and you put on the pack and you trudge through a mile, you grumble, you complain, you whine, how unfair, you have this victim's mentality, and then when the mile is over, you drop it down, you fulfilled your obligation. Jesus says, let me remind you what wisdom requires of you. When somebody asks you to take their bag for a mile, he says, I want you to take it two miles. Because what you're going to find is in that second mile becomes freedom. In that second mile, you, least, you no longer become a victim. You actually take control of the situation. You see, the first mile is done out of obligation. The second mile is done out of ministry. And can you imagine how the conversation with the soldiers changed in the second mile? They're used to the first mile. Everybody complain and throw it down, curse at them, and on they go. But all of a sudden, we're still walking. How come you're still carrying my bags? You don't need to do that. Jesus says, man, don't miss the opportunity. It's ministry in that second hour and in ministry in that second mile. And here's again the thing, it is freedom. When you move past obligation to a choice, you then become in control. And for so many of you in your life, listen, the challenge is you're just doing the first mile and you're missing the joy and the power that comes from the second mile. And Jesus says, listen, the world sets the bar this low. I I want you to raise the bar that's there. That's why I love the story we just heard a little bit earlier in our service. I I love Denny's story. 
in his testimony. And you hear in his life, can you hear it? You can hear the joy and the fulfillment that comes from not just doing the bare minimums, but giving himself to others, to what? To, to going the second mile. And I love he and Michelle, and, and they do a, a couple, young couple small group in their home, and Tammy and I had the joy of being together with them for a year in that. They're involved in their community. They're involved with their neighbors. And I was struck by Denny's story that one of their neighbors is from India. And so a year ago, when all of the storms came through and we raised money for our church partners in India, listen, when that opportunity came to give towards that, he gave not out of obligation or guilt. He gave out of joy He gave out of a sense of purpose. Why? Because there was a connection. When you think of India, he now has a faith and a family and an appreciation for what's there. And going that second mile made all the difference of the joy of that moment. See, that kind of life gives evidence of not only being a Christ follower, but it gives evidence of Christian maturity. Which brings us to question number five today on better decisions and fewer regrets. Question number five is this. It's the maturity question. And the question simply is this, what is the wise thing to do, right? It's like your dad's telling you this, like, what's the wise thing to do in this moment? It's such an important question because it's in such opposition to our default question. Here's our default question if we're not careful for decisions. Is there anything wrong with this? And if there's nothing wrong with it, then it's all good. See the difference? Wisdom says, what's the wise thing to do? Default low bar says, well, is there anything wrong? Nothing wrong? Okay, then I'm free to do that. The challenge is that's, again, it's a pretty low bar because you can answer the question, no, there's nothing wrong with it, and yet it still be an unwise decision. Remember, that's what the Apostle Paul says way back. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. It's legal, but it's not wise, Paul says that. So wisdom, here's the power. Wisdom moves from the low bar of what is legal to the high bar of what is profitable. And as a Christ follower, we've got to remember that the wisdom from above is greater than any man-made law. It's greater than the industry standards, and it's greater than what is socially acceptable. So the Apostle Paul says to the early church, says, church, let me just tell you about wisdom. As a follower of Jesus, it's got to be higher. It's got to be different than just what the world is saying, especially in difficult times. And Paul will say the phrase, when the days are evil, your wisdom becomes even more important. Look, go back to that Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. So be careful how you live, right? Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Why, Paul says, because fools face regret, but wise people make right decisions. And the right questions lead to the right decisions. So let me just quick review. We're on week five. Let me review you back to our five questions that we've been dealing with, right? Question number one was an integrity question. The integrity question simply is this. Am I being honest with myself? The easiest person to deceive is the person in the mirror, right? So all of these fade away. If you can't be honest with yourself, none of these questions are relevant, but can I be? Number two is a legacy question. What story do I want to tell with my life? Every decision you make today writes a chapter in your book that will be read at a later date. Question number three is a consequence question. Pay attention to the tension. The beauty and the joy of being a follower of Jesus and being a Christian is that the Holy Spirit lives within us. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict and to challenge and to confirm things in us. So are we listening to the Holy Spirit in our life? 
Question number four was a lifelong love question. Valentine's Day, right? What does my commitment require of me being the right person, even when we don't feel like doing the right things? And then today, again, question five is the maturity question. What is the wise thing to do? And friends, if you will, if you will ask these five questions and be honest with your answers and then act upon whatever that honesty is, Apostle Paul says, man, you'll be a wise man. You'll be a wise woman. Your life will be characterized that, by that. Your life will be characterized. I love what James 3 says about wisdom. James 3, 17, it says this. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, it is pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. Don't you wish our world today was driven by people who live by wisdom? Man, that it's pure and it's gentle and it's yielding and there's no favoritism, it's sincere. Paul says this kind of wisdom is so important. But then he says, I, want, I really want to remind you why it is even more important in particular seasons of time. Go to verse 16. He says this, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Here's what Paul's saying. The eviler society gets, the more important your wisdom becomes. Now, the book of Ephesians is written in 62 AD. Can you imagine what Paul would say today of the evilness of our days and the need for great wisdom where we are living even today? You see, when society and culture and laws are evil and godless, then we must rely on a wisdom that comes from above. Remember, it can be legal and yet still be unwise. I was thinking about this this last week, and I, my mind raced back to my years as a youth pastor. And one of my regrets from that day was how we taught and shared truth with kids during that time. Here was the truth. Listen, don't do it because it's illegal. Don't drink because you're not of legal age. Don't take drugs because it's illegal. Don't smoke marijuana because it's illegal. What happens when the laws change? When the drinking age drops and now marijuana can be legal in certain states? Did the morality of that decision change because the laws change? Do you see the danger of that kind of thinking that's there? Issues like gender, issues like sanctity of life, issues like uh, even speed limits, right? Have legally changed even in my lifetime. I'm old enough, some of you may remember the old slogan, drive 55 and stay alive. This summer, I'm in South Dakota on my motorcycle. Speed limit's 80. Woo, it was a good day. But see, it changes. It's ever flowing and all these things. So if I live by this, and the only reason I didn't is 55, stay alive, what do I do when the law changes to get 80? You understand. My point is culture changes. Man-made morality changes. So wisdom cannot be solely found in what is legal or socially acceptable. That legality is the lowest of bars. Jesus says wisdom is greater. So how do we, here's a big question for us today, is how do we make wise decisions then? What do we think about that? Let me go back to Andy Stanley's book that was kind of the framework for this, this series, and he makes a quote in it, and he simply says this. In light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? Three perspectives, right? When you're dealing with the decision and you want to have wisdom, three things to look at. You want to look at your past, you want to look at your current circumstances, and you want to look at your preferred future. You see, worldly wisdom focuses in on the moment and the time, 
how I feel, what I want in this moment. And godly wisdom has a greater perspective, has a bigger picture for the decisions that we made. So let's look at these three. First one, in light of my past experiences. Are you familiar with the quote? You may have heard it. Those who forget the past, what are doomed to repeat it. Those of you that are military buffs, you will appreciate some of these. Uh, 1941, Adolf Hitler decides that he is going to invade Russia. Now, Hitler forgets a quote that has been around for years and has simply said this, never get involved in a land war in Asia or, at the very least, get out of Russia before winter. That saying, long before Adolf Hitler, came from 1812 when Napoleon with 600,000 men, decides that he's going to invade Moscow. He invades the city, conquers it relatively easy, but he does it in the, heat, in, in, the, in the throes of winter. The temperature plummets to 22 degrees negative uh, degrees at that time, and most of his soldiers freeze to death. He brought 600,000 men into Moscow, and only 10,000 of them made it home alive. And they share stories that was so cold that men's lips would freeze together. And they actually died from that. Now, you would think Hitler, before invading Russia, would pay attention to history and learn some of the lessons, for he knew it. But that's not the case. Hitler decides. He heads into there in June. Uh, the campaign goes longer. Now it's getting close to the winter months. And he says, hey, we're just pressing on. Even though my men don't have coats and hats and gloves, they press on into the midst of Russia in winter. And unfortunately, at the end of Hitler's time, he conquers many places, but his men return home without ears and noses and fingers and even eyelids due to the frostbite that they experience because he didn't pay attention to the history of the past. See, today, friends, for you and I, our history is just as dangerous for us if we don't pay attention to it. Your past presupposes you or predisposes you to a particular addictions and temptations and blind spots. Now, those particular temptations and addictions and blind spots aren't the same for everybody, but they are the same for you because they are your things that you are predisposed towards. So wisdom is the awareness, and it's cognizant of my past to say, I've got to be aware of these things. These are things that I am susceptible to. So a wise person can't go to certain places, can't view certain material, or can't partake in certain substances because they know it's a temptation to them that they are predisposed to, that they have struggled with in the past, right? That's a wisdom. I'm not projecting that onto you, but I'm just saying for me, I know me, I'm self-aware enough to know I can't go there because that leads me here. I can't partake in that because that's gonna lead me down a road of regret. And awareness is there. It's a, it's a wisdom to make better decisions. And those men and women who can learn from their past and determine new decisions in the present are the folks who will break barriers and break bondage and break cycles. It's wisdom. It goes on to say, the second place that we knew is my current circumstances, right? This one's tough because this one takes some emotional awareness. I, I've got to be aware with what I'm feeling and how I'm processing things in this current moment. I, I don't know about you. Many and most of my regrets are come when I respond in the moment 
rather than taking time to be aware how I'm feeling. When I'm responding out of a sense of hurt or woundedness or anger, that's where regret seems to slide in over and over. It's in those moments, right? If unchecked, I will say something or I will post something that if I just would have taken a few moments of perspective, I might have stopped before I pushed that send button. You ever done it? Got in that moment? And man, you wish you could take it back, but it's out there. And now it's got a life all of, of its own. Wisdom is different than that. Wisdom has that sense of perspective. Wisdom says sometimes the best thing to do in a moment is absolutely nothing. To just stop, right? Gain some perspective. Let my emotions process through. Let me acknowledge I'm angry and I'm frustrated at this moment and I'm lashing out. out of, just give me a second to be able to do that. There's, there's a sense of what's happening in our current circumstances. That's why, here's wisdom, you know, in our current circumstances, that's why if you just got out of a relationship, sometimes the worst thing you can do is quickly jump back into another relationship. You ever seen it? Got out of one relationship, got to roll right to another one, and here's what we know to be true. Anger, desperation, boredom, loneliness are never good foundations for a lasting relationship. Right, wisdom says, knows your circumstance. You just got out of here. Take some time to get healed and find yourself again. Be the person you want to date or be the, you know, just take some time, but our circumstances do that. Here's the third perspective, right? It's my current circumstance, and my third one is my future hopes and dreams. And this is a powerful, powerful principle. And you can see it in people's lives who are wise. It's one of the distinctions. It's this idea of my future hopes and dreams. These are the kind of people who ask this powerful question. How does my decision today impact my preferred future and my hopes and my dreams, right? Let's go back to the relationship part. How is it that I'm acting today having an impact or how is it positioning me for me to experience my desired and preferred relationship in the future, right? When I was a youth pastor, again, a uh, big question always came up in a dating relationship was simply this, right? How far is too far? Say, wrong question. Question should be, what do I want to give of myself to my future spouse? Once you answer that question, it dictates how you have all the relationships prior to that moment. See the difference? Question isn't how far is too far. No, it's where, what's your preferred future? Knowing what that is, now you'll dictate how you live today in such a way. Singles, you have a dream of what you want your life to look like, so what are you doing today to protect that dream? It's wisdom. If you want a strong relationship with your children into their adulthood, then what are you doing today to foster that relationship, to foster that friendship with your kids so you can experience that? Shared numerous times. My preferred dream is I want to experience a 50-year wedding anniversary with Tammy, right? So I got, in the next 20 years, what am I going to do to protect that and to foster that and build that so I can experience my preferred future and what I want? Financially. I mean, all different applications for what the wisdom is, right? I want to retire when I'm 60 or 65. Then the question is, what are you willing to downsize or live without today so you can experience your preferred future when it comes. I've got a dream to someday get married. and I want to have a family. And I'd like to be a stay-at-home mom. 
Well, then your decisions about college and college debt have a great impact on your ability to experience the dream that you have for your life. You get the idea. Dave Ramsey says it this way. If you live like no one else, you can someday live like no one else. Right? That's wisdom. Pay the price today for what you want to experience tomorrow. I want to be generous, right? I want to be... I want to be obedient in the area of my finances. And so someday when I make six figures, then I just want to be really generous and honor God in that. Listen, then the key is when you're making 30,000, be, be generous and honor God with your finances in, and then you'll be able to do it when you make six figures, these kind of things. It's his preferred future. Now, I mentioned that about the finances because, listen, probably the greatest stress for many of you, right, that we're experiencing during this pandemic has been a financial, it's just been heavy, for some of you, you've blown through savings and you had these dreams and you're not there. For some of you, it's, even as Denny said, it's the stress of, I'm just trying to make it from paycheck to paycheck and make it on. Listen, as a church, we just want to, again, come along and support you and encourage you. We want to resource you in ways to do that. I want you to be able to experience the freedom and whatever your God-given dream is that God wants to do to be able to do that. So one of the ways we want to help you, again, if you go to lexcity.info, there's a little place. We're offering Ramsey Plus absolutely free to you. It's just a way to find some hope and a, and a goal and a way to be able to experience that, that someday that you can experience the financial freedom. Imagine if the finances were not a stress during this pandemic. Would that not take a lot of tension out of the bubble? in your life and in your family's life. So anyways, financial, Ramsey Plus, a great way. We just want to be able to offer that to you free, something that may help and encourage you as you do that. Go to lexcity.info. You get the idea. Wisdom says this. Wisdom says, has in mind your preferred future. So here's a question I have for you. What is your preferred God-honoring future? What do you want your life to look like in three years, in five years, in 25 years from now? Have you ever thought about that? What do you want out of your life relationally, professionally, financially, ministry-wise, whatever it is that would be? And here's the key with wisdom. Wisdom determines what that end goal is and then works its way backwards. In five years, this is where I want to be. So in three years, I want to make sure I'm here in a year from now, I want to make sure that I'm here to make this one. And actually Monday, Monday I'm going to start doing this. And I'm going to quit doing this because in three years I want to be here because this is where my preferred future is. And I want Wisdom has the ability to work its way backwards and say, how do I get towards that thing? See, so the reality is we all end up somewhere. So why not end up somewhere on purpose, right? And wisdom is the thing that paves the path to that purpose that you want. So my encouragement for you today as we close out our time is simply this. Listen, don't settle. Don't settle for what's good or what's legal or what's permissible or what's acceptable or what's tolerable. Don't settle for what you can't be prosecuted over or what is the new normal. Listen, can I just encourage you? You are better than that. God has created you for something better than that. You deserve more than that. Your family Your family deserves more than that. So ask question five. What is the wise thing to do? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the challenge of your word (laughs) that combats a culture that just says the bare minimum is all that's required. God, I thank you that you 
you see in us. You call something out of us that's far greater than that. God, you say anybody can walk the mile, but it's the second mile that makes all the difference. So Lord, today I just, I think of our brothers and sisters even here today. Lord, there are situations and circumstances and relationships and external health issues and all these things that are so heavy in their hearts. So God, today may they just stop a moment and ask what's the wise thing to do? What's the thing that positions me to be able to experience my God-honoring preferred future. And then I pray today, God, I pray for them the courage, because this is hard. I pray for them the determination to say, today I will change this so I can experience that. God, today I will surrender this area in my life over to you that I can experience the joy and the freedom and the abundance and the power that comes from walking with you. So Lord, may your spirit in the hours and the days to come speak to our hearts and may we have the courage and the character to respond. And we thank you for it. In your name we pray, amen. As we close out our time today, I just want to spend just a few moments just singing together. And so in just a moment, I ask you to stand. And as we sing, for some of you, can I just encourage you to take these moments and begin to ask that question of, God, what is my preferred future? Right? Everybody ends up somewhere. Let's, let's get there on purpose. God, what is it you have for my life? Where do you want me to be? What's the plan? What's the goal? What's the vision? And then help me through your power and your strength to get there.